Brethren, wonder is an amazing thing. Um, if you think for a moment about the things that cause you to wonder or fill you with awe, it might be a certain person you know or, or place that you've seen with your own eyes, or perhaps it's just certain facts such as the vastness of the universe and, and how amazing it is, whatever it may be. The fascination, this fascination is a vital part of life because we're often most driven by what is most fascinating to us. And if we lose our sense of wonder or lose our sense of awe, we will be the most boring and dull people in the face of the earth. And that's one thing that I, I love about children. Those of us who have children, we see children, they, they are constantly interested even in things that we would call normal and mundane. They, they see things as fresh and new that we see as old and common but it's a sense of wonder that they have. And brethren, I would just plead with you that you never allow yourself to lose a sense of wonder and awe at who God is. We should be people who seek to be fascinated with the person of God. We should be out under the stars at times, taking in the beauty, and we should be up in the morning seeing the glory of a sunrise unfolded to a quiet world. We should be seeking to cultivate an awareness of God's glory, even in the mundane things of life. I do fear at times that I would stop marveling at who God is, that I would somehow think that I know him fully or, or have arrived at a certain level and I fail to be amazed at the things that I see. That familiarity would breed that nonchalantness, that, that attitude of who cares? I know so much. And that only can come when we lose sight of who God really is. But how many of us have, have in one way or another lost our amazement at this God? And the test of that is, do you still read your Bible with anticipation of knowing more about God, of knowing him in a greater way? Do we come to church with expectation? Or is it just what we do on a Sunday morning? Have we become familiar with this God? And my hope is this morning to just help us to see and, and, and even marvel at who God is and that somehow the revelation of his person would fill us with worship and wonder. And I would just remind us of something we already know, that the greatest study man has ever undertaken is the person of God. Because we cannot exhaust him. We cannot ever get to a place where we can say, I have comprehended him. And yet, the beauty of it is, we can say, I have fellowship with God. Because he has revealed himself to us in his word. And so, to know God, to know him, is the greatest need of our day. Because we can read all the grand truths of scripture. We can read about how, how it relates to us as sinners. Or we can read about our origin, or our purpose, or our destiny. But none of those things can help us properly until we know who God is. So I just want to refresh our memory and, and instill within us just a, a glimpse of who he is and why for all of eternity we will be discovering more of this glorious person. Think of this. This God is without beginning because he is from everlasting. He is without end because he is to everlasting. 
He has no successor. His throne endures forever. He has no rival. His enemies are crushed under his feet. He has no faults, for he is perfect. He lacks nothing, for from his fullness we have received from him. He has no debt, for who has given to him that he should repay? He is under no authority, for all authority is his. He has never failed. All of his words are true. He alone is self-existent. I am who I am, he said. He is the creator. He spoke, and the world was created. He alone decrees all things, for none of his plans can be thwarted. He alone is eternal, while all of human beings belong to time. He alone is unchanging, for all who came into existence have experienced a change. He alone is all-powerful, for who can be all-powerful if he dies like mere man? God is all-wise, who can outwit him? God is all-powerful, who can overpower him? God is eternal, who can outlive him? And God is all-knowing, who can challenge him? I, it is no wonder that God says in Isaiah, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other. And so the great need of our day is that we would have a transcendent view of God, to, to behold his glory, to know something of his majesty, to recognize his holiness and his supremacy and his eternal worth, because that is going to have the most profound impact on your daily life. A high view of God, a right view of God. And so I want to speak today on the person of God as as much of a failure as that will end up, we can still try to learn about him. But I specifically want to speak about his eternity. And so to speak on a subject which none of us can grasp is, is kind of going to require a lot from me and you because we have nothing to compare it to, right? How do we, how, how do we grasp eternity? We can't draw from experience. We, we can't draw from comparison. Nothing is eternal but God. No one is eternal but God. And so we can only do this by laying a hold of Scripture and asking for God's help in, in putting into our minds the truth that is there and asking him that we might gain something from learning from this word today. So Psalm chapter 90, I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now just stop for a minute. Think of those words and, and the amazing reality that that conveys to us. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is more than we can comprehend in a lifetime. But he goes on, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or like a watch in the night. We could read the whole chapter, but from this text, I want to draw our attention specifically to this phrase from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That is our focus. And I want to focus on the reality of God's eternity and then see the implications as it applies to our lives. And so 
Maybe if you're wondering why preach a message on God's eternity, uh, I mean, that's a legitimate question, but I would answer this. It is our privilege, is it not, to know him, to know God. God's eternity has been revealed to us in Scripture for a purpose, and if properly understood, it's going to produce greater worship of him from our hearts. And so I would assert that God's eternity, though rarely thought about, likely, is one of the most important attributes and one that is often taken for granted. Because if you think about it, what good is a God of time, right? What good is a God whose throne only endures for the time being? And what good would salvation be if it did not last eternally? So we rejoice, sometimes unknowingly, in God's eternity. So I want to look at this um, really under just two headings, the reality of God's eternity and then the implications of it. So the first thing we have to understand about God's eternity is that it is one of God's incommunicable attributes. And it's just a simple way or a complicated way maybe to say that it's, it's unique to him. It's not something that we can share in. We share in God's attributes such as mercy and goodness and kindness and grace. We can be merciful to others. We can be kind to each other. But we know nothing of his eternity. It is only true of God himself. And so immediately that separates God from all of humanity. For he alone is without beginning and without end. So then how can we properly think about the eternity of God? How how can our minds be stretched so far to even grapple with something that is so vast and immeasurable? As I thought about it, it's, it's interesting to me that the only thing we can use to think about it is time. That's the only way we can imagine. I mean, because we can imagine, we can imagine 2,000 years ago when Christ came and died upon the cross. We can imagine 6,000 years ago when the earth was created, but we can't imagine eons and billions of years ago when God was still there. We can go as far as our minds take us, an eternity past or an eternity future, and God is still there. And so that's why our text reminds us, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And if you're like me, sometimes, I mean, this is a familiar passage, a familiar chapter in a familiar book. And how many times have we read this? Oh, yeah, God, God is everlasting. And we go on. Not thinking about the reality that was conveyed to us. But consider this. God would not be God if he were not eternal. Because that would insinuate that there is something outside of his existence. Which means that his perfection would be limited. And if he's limited, he would cease to be God. Because there would be something outside of himself. And so God must be God. And he must be eternal if he is to be God. We do well to consider this aspect, I think, because we find much to worship him for. Because, I mean, you can, you can look, can you not? You can look at, at an oak tree and know that it came from an acorn. You can look at, at your children and they're growing and they used to be young. You can look at pictures of yourself and you, you were young and now you're old or you're aging. You're, it's just what, it's, it's the reality. We had a beginning and we have an end. Any and everything that we see, we assume time into the equation. There was a time when it did not exist, and there were a time when it will not exist again. But this God is outside of time. He was never young. Yet he is not a day older now than he was trillions of years ago. He is not aged or aging. He is the ancient of days, but he is by no means old. This God is beyond imagination. 
To whom can we compare him? Even scripture says, if we stretch our minds as far as possible, we find no one with whom we can compare. And we find no one who can grasp the eternality of God. Even children, some of you young people, you can grow up and you can learn about quantum physics and you can learn about you know, high math and, and rocket science and brain surgery and all these things if you give yourself to learning them and acquiring the knowledge necessary. But with all the brain power in all the history of mankind, no one can grasp this God. So what is eternity? How, how can we describe it? We can speak of it, but it cannot be comprehended. Everything we know has a time frame, brethren. We think of the longest knowable time. It has an end. We see the world as we know it. We see children being born. We see older people passing away, sometimes younger people. Life and death, the beginning and end. There was a beginning. There shall be an end. But eternity has no bounds, no limits And this God is the one who is everlasting and always will be God. I am who I am, he said. He alone is God. You cannot outlive him and you cannot overthrow him. You cannot avoid him. He is the greatest reality before whom we shall all one day stand. One brother said this, God cannot be properly called ancient because that would insinuate that he is decaying and soon would not exist. Neither can he be called young, which would insinuate that he did not exist long before. So so we come to an end. There is a futility in trying to, to describe God with our language. We know so little of him. We know so little of him. But the glory of just this one attribute is immense. And that is why we are called to worship him. But remember, with all of God's immensity, all of the grandness and glory, he is a God who has revealed himself to us. We can know him. We can know him. And we can have a relationship with him. I mean, isn't that at least in part why you're here this morning? To know him? And we can go outside and we can look at the stars, as I mentioned. We can see those those lights which are are some of the most beautiful things that man has ever seen. And we can think, what is man that you are mindful of him? How how can such a God care about me when he is so grand and glorious? But he does in the person of Christ and with such an immense God. And the God who dwarfs the universe by comparison in vastness and glory. He cares about you and I. We read I have called you by name, he said. He says, you are mine. I have formed you and made you, and I have created you for my glory. Never lose sight of the fact that God has called you by name. No matter how glorious it may be to know him and to know his infinite worth, he has called you by name. So, after that pathetic attempt to describe God's infinite, infinite glory, let's, let's shift a little bit from the, to the implications of this. 
Because this is, this is where it has to shift a little bit from, from attempting to understand something of God's eternity to, to applying it to our lives, right? Because truth is given to us, not just for our heads, but it is to be, it is to be transforming, is to do something in your life. We have to have something to take out this door with us. It, the, the, the theology has to walk with us in the practical land of the living. We have, to, we have to know something of this. So the first and most obvious implication is right here in the text even, is, is just the brevity of life. Notice in Psalm 90 how God's eternity is immediately contrasted with man's brevity of life. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of man. Immediately he goes. The first and most obvious implication is that we are only here for a moment. We are only here for a moment. And so it makes sense that Moses later in this chapter would say, teach us to number our days. Because that's a good prayer for us. If we're considering eternity and comparing our lives to that, and brethren, you know this, but the reality of eternity makes time of supreme value to us. Time is so precious. It is but a parenthesis in the midst of eternity. It is so short that it makes every moment precious. It is little wonder that we read again and again, redeem the time, redeem the time. Brethren, you know this better than I, many of you, but, but scripture is right to say that, that life is a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And, and one thing that is true is, is sometimes that reality is kind of spoken in hushed terms and all oh, your know, life is short and as if it's a sad thing. <laughs> Brethren, that is, this is, I speak that to you in hope because if God is eternally existing and he has made our souls to exist forever, when this body wears out, we're going home. This isn't the end. We have to recognize that, that it's not a sad thing to have a short life. We're going on to eternity. That's our hope. That's why we can have hope and we can have joy and we can have peace. doesn't matter what the world's doing. Yes, it's, 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 it's a sad reality. But have we not eternity to look forward to? The brevity of life is, is, is an encouragement that we've barely begun. Eternity is before us. Peter says we have an inheritance to obtain, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And so brothers and sisters who are beyond me in age, don't be discouraged by getting old. You have a hope that will not perish and an inheritance that is not going to fade away. Okay. So for those of us who need a reality check, James comes along in chapter four and he says, what is your life? And we need to answer that question. What is your life? And how you answer that, brethren, is going to be determined by your view of eternity. What is your life? Is it get all you can? Is it be self-absorbed, inward-focused, comfort-driven, seek everything that you can get from this life? I trust it is not, but I, I hope we can answer that question as Paul did later on. He said, for me to live is Christ. That's my life. That's what I live for. Christ. That's the Christian life put very plainly, very clearly. And I would ask us to consider whether or not in light of eternity and the brevity of life, if we can say, for me to live is Christ. It's Christ. Because you see... If you're anything like me, our downfall is that we know something of eternity in our minds. We understand that we are infinite. God is, we are finite. God is infinite. We know that means that judgment day is coming. And yet what happens invariably? 
we get caught up with the things of this world. We're taking care of our families. We're raising children. We're schooling them. We're doing all these things. We're sometimes getting caught up into building our own kingdoms. And how easily we lose sight of what Scripture says that we're here today and gone tomorrow. Scripture says, you have made my days a few handbreadths. We need this reminder. So what difference does it make if we live for five decades or 500 decades? It's all but a moment. Comparatively, both are but a moment. We go to our eternal home. That's why we have to contemplate the reality of our, our, our mortality, really, and heed Scripture's instructions to make the best use of time. Psalm 144 says, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Passing shadow, friends, and we're gone. Gone. We're aliens passing through. That's why we're exhorted not to set our minds on things of the earth. Nothing here is worth living for if we don't have Christ. And so this exhortation is just this. Do we have a proper view of life? Are we giving ourselves living in such a way that it shows we believe life is short. The eternity is coming. It will help us endure hardship. It will help us offer our lives as a sacrifice and to invest in the things of eternity. But then the second thing is this. First thing is the brevity of life. And the second thing is this. And I want to be very careful how I say it, but please follow my, my thinking in this. From a human perspective, from a human perspective, our eternal destination is decided within time. I mean, you recognize that. You get one life, and after that, the judgment. But I have to say before we go any further, I absolutely, I absolutely believe and trust in the Word of God when it says we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. If we were not given to Christ by sovereign grace, we would not come to Him. But I want to press upon us from our perspective from our perspective, our souls are lost or they are saved within time. And I need to press upon us our desperate need of Christ. Because the reality of eternity makes our lives precious beyond imagination. I mean, here, here's, where we need to, here's where we need to think of eternity more. Because again, from our perspective, within this short span of life, our eternal home is, is decided. And brother, nothing could be more foolish than be so short-sighted, so self-absorbed, that we actually prefer some measure of comfort or immediate gratification in this life over eternal blessings untold. And young people, I plead with you to just hear me. All we have to do is to think Think, right now, every person in this room, in billions and billions of years beyond what you can imagine, everyone will still exist. Some in the glorious presence of the Almighty God, worshiping the glorious Savior, finding out more of who He is, basking in that, and others will spend another day in hopeless torture because they rejected Christ. Please hear me. There is mercy. There is mercy for the sinner. There is hope. There, there, there is life eternal and joy unending 
God has not left us on our own. He has not been silent. He has not hidden himself so that we cannot find him. Even Moses in this chapter in verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. We can find refuge in God and we have been given directions to him. The heavens declare his glory. Scripture reveals his nature. We can know him. And he is a God who delights to save sinners. He sent his, his son into the world for that very purpose. And he is the only door, this Christ, for whom we can enter. So don't waste this precious life. Don't put off today what is most important and say you will do it later. Because I can tell you this, again, Young people and teenagers, more than anyone, they are intent on getting right with God. They have good intentions. They're going to do it someday. They're going to, they will get right with God. They have this idea. Oh, I hate this idea that someday they can say a few words and get into heaven. As if their life does not matter until it's over. But I can tell you this. Hell is full of people who intended to get right with God. They were planning to in a few days or a few weeks or a couple of years and death came when they were unaware or unprepared and their eternity was sealed because their conscience was screaming at them and they put it off to ignore the conviction that God exposed them to in one way or the other. Later, later, later. That's what the devil is always telling people, especially in a gathering like this, where you know you must be right with God. And he says, later, 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 later. The devil is good with you getting right with God later. Just do it later. And I can tell you this, later is a lie. The devil will keep you so busy, so busy. Good intentions are the devil's best friend. Today is the day of salvation, Jesus says. He said, Jesus said, put it this way. What is a prophet of man? You know what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Remind yourself of that when you lay in bed. So this, this is my plea. Anyone, I don't know this condition of the souls who are before me, but anyone here who is not saved, don't play with your soul. Don't be foolish. You do not know when your day is coming. You are borrowing breath from God. And when he says no more, we face him. I haven't really watched much of it, but I think you know of some of the stories of these brave and daring, sometimes foolish people who, who walk across this little rope on top of a great ravine, and they subject themselves to the slightest gust of wind or the slightest misstep, risking death if they fall. I, I fear that sometimes if not us, then people we know and love around us live that way spiritually. They think they're going to, they, they take such a risk that somehow they're going to make it across. Somehow they're not going to, somehow it's going to work out. They're not going to fall into that pit right below them. Somehow they're going to make it to the other side. Again, I, I don't want us to have people waking up people that we know and love and have prayed for and pleaded with to wake up in hell, realizing that their optimism was a false hope and God is indeed a just God. So I just say God is not silent. 
He openly displays his glory for all to see. He carefully ensures that his word is kept down through the ages. He appoints preachers and teachers to explain the word of God so that we are without excuse. And this is the goodness of God. This is the glory of the Savior. We read that the Lord is abounding to all who call upon, in riches, to all who call upon him. Jesus said, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's our hope. That's our hope. We need Christ. And so... There's no formula other than to call upon Christ. Call upon him and he will answer you in mercy. So the brevity of life, the the reality of eternity decided within time, I trust that you know what I'm trying to communicate there. And then thirdly, endurance and suffering. Brethren, as Christians, if we did not believe in eternity, if we did not believe in unending days of joy in the presence of God to look forward to, we would not be able to endure suffering. And, and I think this is another area where, where our perspective has to be kept in place so we don't lose hope. How can we endure the hardships of life which are coming? Because we know that, we know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that there will be suffering. The soldier endures boot camp because he knows it's going to prepare him for battle. And the athlete endures training because he knows it's going to prepare him for, the, for the, the competition. How much more, how much more can a Christian not endure suffering knowing what is in store for us? Paul says, so, so, so he says this, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer selves is wasting away, our inner selves is being renewed day by day. For this light And momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is nothing to compare it to, dear friends. There's nothing to compare it to. This is temporary. That which I possess is eternal. And I I don't want to make this heavy-handed in any way because I recognize that, that many of you have been asked to suffer some more than others. And and. I don't know what it's related to. It could be health-wise. It could be related to your family or something from your past or something you're currently dealing with, which is the loss of a loved one or, or difficult marriages or wayward children. I, I don't know. The Lord knows. But we need to keep this in mind. And also, though I'm not a prophet, I think we can recognize that we are living in a time when there will be suffering coming to us like we have yet to experience. If we're aware of what the path that the world is on, it is going to cause the true church of Christ to suffer in a way that she has not in the West. But God in his kindness has not left us hopeless. He's given us abundant reason for, the, for hope in the midst of pain. He's not withheld the fact that suffering is inevitable for Christians. That's up front. We need to know that up front. But he promises to help us. And he promises, well, he reminds us that it's temporary. Listen to this familiar verse from Deuteronomy chapter 33. Does the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. You see how, how eternity is given to us as a means of reassurance in times of suffering. It pictures God as always bearing us up keeping us from falling into sin and despair. So, yes, we must endure suffering. But just look at what he has done for you. Look at what he has done for you. 
Consider our span of life compared to eternity. Consider our plight apart from the saving grace of God and what a mercy it is that we have received this salvation for eternity. We deal constantly with disease and disability and death. We're broken with all of these things. But even if we're asked to endure the most difficult of circumstances, how can we raise our fists towards God when he has saved our souls? Paul says there in Romans 8, he said, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What, what, what shall we say that God is unjust in asking us to suffer for him? By no means. We have here a few short years to serve him. And we are taken away to where we will be with him in eternal joy and fellowship. So let us, let us with his help, serve him with joy and gladness. Yes, some of us are going to suffer. Some of us will endure sickness and disease and great difficulty. But we are enlisted for the king. And it is his right to assign our time on earth here as he wishes and we will accept. Because his everlasting arms are going to be underneath us until our last breath. We shall never sink so low, dear brother and sister. Never sink so low that he cannot, we cannot see his arms of grace still below us. We are never alone, never abandoned. Amen? Another thing. The, the brevity of life... The importance of our conversion, endurance and suffering. But here for the Christian, how about the everlasting love of God? H have you considered recently this love? Have you meditated upon the fact that you were born in sin, bent on going your own way? You rebelled against God and even hated him. And yet all the while, all the while, he was drawing you to himself. Showing you his loving kindness and his mercy. See, if we think anything for granted as Christians, I am afraid it is the most important thing, the love of God. Just consider the truths of scripture that gives us, it gives us about mankind and about God. God who is eternal, perfect, righteous, and altogether separate from us. The thrice holy God. He created us in his image for his glory, that we might know him and enjoy him forever and participate in a completely satisfying relationship with him, only to have us spit in his face in defiance and rebel against him and choose sin and self over God. For God to, re to, to, to redeem us and to love us and to grant us a future that is not only void of punishment, but full of of everlasting joy in his presence in his astounding act of sheer sovereign grace to be loved by him, to be loved by him. A person who is dead in sin, helpless and hopeless until he came and opened my eyes that I might see my sin. He laid the heavy law upon me until I was thoroughly convicted of sin and then graciously took me to the cross of Calvary and showed us, he showed us 
There he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Dear Christian, please take time to reflect upon God's love for you. It did not begin at conversion, but in eternity past. And if you were a Christian, God has always loved you. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. Before you filled your lungs with air, God had chosen to love you and give his son for you. And he shall love you throughout eternity. Could he who chose you before the foundation of the world now reject you? Do we not have a promise there in Philippians 1.6? Is there anything that could separate us from God's love, which has been bestowed upon us from before the foundation of the world? Read Romans 8 again. Stop and consider what it means that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, God set his love upon you. He did not one day arbitrarily choose to love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, God said. If we take that truth and compare it with the fact that our lives are but a vapor, what is our proper response? He has loved us with an everlasting love. Quickly and finally, the fifth thing is that the eternal God is worthy of a, of a life of affection and devotion. Consider again, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If we take that and, and, and just compare it with our parenthesis of life, I mean, just aside from his sheer existence, what about the value and worth of this one true eternal God? When we recognize who he is and we recognize that all we have to give him is our lives, that's it. Because we are his by right of creation and we are his doubly by right of recreation through his precious son. And he is worthy to be praised. And he is worthy to be worshipped. And he is worthy to be loved and worthy to be treasured and worthy to be served. So, since God is eternal, he is deserving of all of our affection. All of our affection. Sometimes I wonder why I'm so prone to, to love what I see with my eyes rather than the God that I see by faith. And I think it really is, is likely a, a lack of meditating on the person of God. I mean, have, have you lately pondered the eternity of God? The person of God? Just thought about him as he is revealed? Just that alone will stir great love within your heart. Because when God arrests your affections and pours his love into your heart, we are then willing servants, glad servants of his. And I, I love Paul. When he gets to these places in, in Romans and Ephesians and different places, he comes to them and he says, I urge you, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your lives a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Then he comes along in Ephesians and he says, I implore you, I implore you, I implore you, walk worthy. Jesus simply said, you follow me. And they followed. You see, when God arrests our affections and he calls us to serve him, we're glad to serve him because he's worthy. So the question is, are we doing this? Are we being faithful to what he has called us to? Are you being faithful to what God has called you to this day? Uh, for some of you, it, it, it's going to be 
taking care of your children that God's given you and, and, and being faithful in that. But for others, it may finally, once and for all, mean that you forsake your self-absorbed, self-serving life and follow him. And serve him. I don't need to apply it. God can apply it and show you. I'll just say this. When your eyes are fully trained upon God and you behold him as he is, you will be constrained to give yourself gladly to his service. So don't waste your life. Don't waste the precious hours and days and months and years because 15 turns into 50, which turns into 80. Before you know it, life is gone. We know that. So don't waste your life. You, eternity makes time the most valuable treasure. So I, I ask you, let us serve him. Let us serve him. Just very quickly for a minute, give it just, I, I want to appeal again to those who don't know Christ. Eternity is going to reveal everything. We read in Psalms 90, Moses said, you have set our secret sins before you. We're not hiding anything from God. Man can be fooled so easily. But God knows everything. And eternity is going to reveal everything as it is. Be done with fake. If you're here this morning and you, you recognize that you need Christ, be done with fake. I plead with you. You have promises to claim. Repent and believe his mercies are new every morning and he will save those who call upon him. For the rest of us, I, I hope that, that the reality of eternity can fill us with joy. I, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. I would pray that God would remind you of how joy is fueled by looking to eternity and finding that our hope is there, not in the things passing away. So may God help us to ponder this rightly and be helped according to his spirit. Let's pray together. Well, it's only because of Christ's blood that we can come to you and we thank you for the joy and privilege of coming to you as our father. Thank you that you know our needs before we even ask. Thank you that you are a God who has loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you, God, that we can look at tomorrow and the coming days and weeks and rejoice because great is our reward in heaven. Help your people, Lord, to be strengthened by this. Deepen our love for you and our worship. Thank you for your word. We rejoice in what we find in your word, Lord. And we thank you for preserving it to strengthen and encourage your people. And we pray in Christ's name.